Hey, are you hiring? If you answered yes, let Zentegra Staffing help staff your IT people needs. Head over to Zentegra.com forward slash Zentegra Staffing to find out more. Zentegra Staffing, we can staff your IT people needs. Welcome to another edition of the Citrix Session with your hosts, Andy Whiteside and Bill Sutton, your source for all things Citrix. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 51 of the Citrix Session podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. Of course, I'm here with Bill Sutton, Bill, Director of Services at Zintegra. Bill, how's it going? Going well, Andy. Thank you. All right, Bill, I'll put you on the spot. What's the most interesting project you guys are currently working on? Uh, currently working on is a large rollout for a big customer. Um, it's a greenfield situation, a spinoff from somebody larger. Um, we've got uh, three consultants working on it, two on the CBAD side, one on the ADC side. Um, it's, it's not often we get a big greenfield project, uh, so that's uh, proven to be uh very interesting. Um, should be straightforward, hopefully, but uh, yeah. there's a lot of nuances to it, of course, when you're dealing with a big company. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something here that I'm, I might get some eye rolls about, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Uh, Greenfield opportunities to work with Citrix and Citrix customers; those actually scare me. And here's why is because I know if I'm coming in behind another organization to, to help a customer, then I know they've already had problems and a lot of the toe stubbing has already been done. Yeah. Uh, and I know that the, uh, you know, we can do it better and we'll put more passion towards it. It's the ones where you don't know what you don't know that scare me in these greenfield ones. Yeah. The, the difference here is a lot of the players that are, that are in this new company are very familiar with Citrix and understand how it works and have a good, a good foundation. So it's not, like we're it's it's not like it's you know very green but it is a, a green field in the sense that it's a brand new environment yeah okay well that makes me feel a little better so people at least know the people on the other side of the fence know what they're getting into so they're not gonna they're not gonna yell at us when their applications don't work because they just can't work it's they yeah can't. exactly all right. Well, great. So we have with us Kevin Nardone. Kevin is an, an old friend of ours, a uh, friend of Zintegra's, friend of ours, mine when I worked at Citrix and a really smart guy. He, he used to be a young guy when I first met him. Now he's <laughs> all grown up on us. He's gotten older. I, I haven't gotten any older, but Kevin's gotten, gotten a little older. <laughs> Much less hair for me now. I think it's progr- it progressively dropped over the, the nine years to, to zero, I think. <laughs> the nine years I've been at Citrix. You, known each other. might have been a little more on purpose than it is today. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It was, uh, I think, um, I was holding on by a thread, I think, when we first met each other in my yeah. uh, early 20s. But it's been a good run so far. And I love how you're, uh, Bill, you're mentioning Greenfield, because especially when we start talking a lot about, you know, some of what I wrote when it comes to like a, a, the cloud adoption framework, uh, when it comes to getting towards uh, you know, moving an organization to Azure, specifically when it comes to, you know, hey, what does it mean for Citrix? A lot of what Microsoft did with the cloud adoption framework was kind of writing it in that same context, like you mentioned, when it comes to a greenfield approach to Citrix, like what is the greenfield approach you should take to Azure, especially when it comes to doing it for your enterprise. So I think a lot of a really good way to kind of kick this off in, in, in a, a way that kind of aligns with some of the stuff we're going to talk through today. Hey, that, that's a good question, Bill. Is that project in a cloud or is it uh, on-prem? 
Bill, you there? Yeah, I'm sorry. Mute. Mute button is not always your friend. Um, it's on-prem. On-prem. Okay. Well, maybe at some point they'll see the value in moving to some type of cloud and the operational efficiencies of it. And, uh, you know, talking about it here today with Kevin is part of what we're trying to do, get people yeah, aware of where it fits and where it doesn't fit and how you do it when, if you decide to go there. Yeah, I would expect it will move that direction if for no other reason than, uh, you know, burst of the cloud or a, or a DR type scenario. Yeah, for sure. It makes makes a ton of sense as it relates to, you know, active, passive or even active, active right. um, DR or business continuity slash DR scenarios. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Kevin, uh, you wrote a, um, a Citrix blog and it's part of the Citrix tips series. It's called Citrix on Azure Enterprise Scale Landing Zones. And this is part one of uh, what, maybe three part you've got here? Yep. Yeah, it'll be part one of three. Um, really kind of digging into, you know, what is what is enterprise scale? What does it mean when it comes to like a, a Microsoft's definition of it? And then some of the design principles that come with their methodology and how you can apply that approach from like a to like a Citrix design. And I think there's a lot of key things here, too, that I know, Bill, like your customer, they're not thinking about cloud today. But I think even some of the thought process that Microsoft really tries to highlight when it comes to the cloud adoption framework, trying to take similar thought processes when it comes to like designing for success, you know, thinking modularly, trying to be a little bit more agile in your execution process that I think even if a customer would apply to like on-prem, like for example, thinking of, you know, a host pool, like what is my unit of scale there? Like how many users can I accommodate? And if I'm growing, okay, how do I increase that growth by adding another like similar unit of scale? Um, I think it'd be very beneficial for customers, regardless of where they put their infrastructure. But Microsoft does do a lot of great things when it comes to adapting quickly and safely, especially when it's it's public clouds in play. So, Kevin, you want to just kind of kick us off here and talk about, uh, which I think maybe you just did, um, what you're (laughs) trying to cover here in the introduction? Yeah, definitely. So uh, that whole tip series, especially for you know the blog, I ended up doing a, a webinar back in June with uh, Jeff Mitchell, who's one of the cloud solution architects for Microsoft and one of the close collaborators I've had the luxury of working with over the last couple of years. Uh, we ended up going through um, a concept known as the cloud adoption framework. Uh, so that's pretty much, like I said, a design methodology that Microsoft has built out that kind of really walks a customer through the process of getting their organization ready to you know, adapt and migrate to Azure. And we had a conversation around using that framework to prepare your environment for business continuity, especially thinking back in June, you know, pandemic, you know, was a couple months old, was really starting to pick up. I think everyone was, you know, hitting fresh lockdowns at that time, especially in the U.S. So while we were digging a lot within, you know, business continuity, what I want to do from that webinar is I felt like the cloud adoption framework had a lot of useful design methodologies that if thinking of, you know, adapting some of that, especially for Citrix design, could help customers one be a little bit less intimidated when it comes to cloud but also be more successful by capturing a few common gotchas so i wanted to take that uh, work with jeff and kind of build upon it and that's what really inspired uh, this blog series especially thinking of you know enterprise scale as i think the whole pandemic and you know business continuity and like and bill like you mentioned like vr i think a lot of that's pushing a lot of people to public cloud quickly and early, um, where there's a lot of just really large organizations looking at doing public cloud at significant scale that may not have even thought about it a couple of years ago until the pandemic. I think one of the things the pandemic did is that even people who aren't moving to the cloud now have to at least understand it and be prepared to go that way if that's what, you know, the world throws at them. 
And I think stuff like this is a great way to, to learn in parallel what's going on on the cloud side of the conversation, even if you're not going there yet. Yep, exactly. And I think that gets to like the whole key theme too of like the blog series is, you know, really try not to be a victim of your own success. Uh, you know, customers are looking at the cloud now to understand it. And like, especially once you get started with it, once the organization understands it, you kind of really, I've seen a lot of couple of customers rapidly go from that. Hey, I got to build the cloud. You know, I got to, hey, let's do Citrus Cloud on Azure for maybe a specific targeted use case. Like, hey, we have a call center and we want to avoid a device refresh. So we're going to, or they're working from home now. So we're going to kind of let them do BYOD. And then they could still do call center activity, but we don't want to host that in our data center. So that's when like customers are kind of really in that build. Hey, we have initial use case. It makes sense. Like, let's try it out. But um, if that initial use case is successful, it really then shifts from like a building to consumption. Like, hey, I really need to accelerate this, do more of this. And if you didn't plan for scale, like think modularly, uh, you can effectively sometimes be a victim of your own success where, wait, I have all these small networks and now I'm making all these different machine catalogs or I've lumped my Citrix environment into a subscription that now I can't grow because Citrix is being very successful, but now I'm sharing resources with this other team and our governance strategy no longer aligns. Uh, so then you have to re-architect and rethink the whole strategy. So I've seen a lot of customers, especially in the early phases of cloud, kind of create those bottlenecks. And I think a lot of what the cloud adoption framework really tries to get presented is, you know, don't be a victim of your own success. Think modularly and think for, you know, plan for growth, because especially if you're successful, you might get unexpected growth uh, in the overall system. So. So, Kevin, your, uh, your first section here talks about uh, what is enterprise scale? Why should I take a similar approach to Citrix? I, I think that's really interesting. I, I can't tell you how many environments I've been in in my Citrix career where, you know, they did um, a lot of things to make sure their SQL environment, their exchange environment, their Active Directory environment was done right, uh, even including a, you know, test dev environment for those solutions. And then they just, you know, basically throw Citrix up under somebody's desk and, and then wonder why it doesn't work right. They, they just don't take it serious or not. And that's, that's really one of the requirements I, I have when I start to learn a new company we're working with is how serious do they take this? Do they even know they're, that it's just a bunch of dumb old desktops, but it's still an enterprise solution that needs to be done correctly. So you want to kind of help us understand what taking it serious in, uh, in the Azure world means? Yeah. So like enterprise scale, again, is like really thinking about, you know, hey, I have this system and regardless of my future scale, like I'm going to be able to accommodate that. So for example, hey, if I need to go from that 1,000 to 10,000 users because we found now, hey, everyone needs to roll in and use SAP virtually instead of pushing out VPNs, how are we going to do that? Oh, we need to do it via Citrix, virtualize SAP, and let's you know quadruple, triple, 10x our infrastructure. Um, so like thinking and designing where, again, you're not going to be a victim of your own success, something that can grow is really you know how they qualify enterprise scale. So even like small businesses with that thought process of, Hey, it's niche today, but what will I need to do to take this to my whole organization if it's successful? Because thinking of cloud, like you're not racking servers, you're not um, plugging in power, you're not like setting up storage. Um, a lot of like the things that enable scale, especially within Azure, is how you govern eventually managing those resources. So like thinking of, for example, like, hey, your subscriptions, like how are you going to put like things in resource groups, tagging? A lot of that is like not really, you're not really charged for that. But like doing it right allows you to then grow in the future in a way that you're not pitting business units against one another or you're actively 
managing managing and monitoring your costs so that if you do ever get to that point, it can be, hey, I'm just going to start adding more to this bucket. And then, you know, Andy, your bucket's not getting impacted because your system is growing a little bit slower than mine. Right. So um, help me understand what the cloud adoption framework is is that that that's the actual framework from Microsoft that you're yes. holding onto here, right? Yep. Yeah. The, the best I think the best uh, metaphor for that would be um, if you remember back in the day, like the virtual desktop handbook. Yeah. For that we had mm-hmm. like on the Citrix side, and it walked you through like assess, design, deploy, like a lot of key design decisions. So it is a Microsoft you know template. It's a Microsoft methodology, but like the I guess the closest representative on the Citrix side would be kind of like that virtual desktop handbook. Really tries to walk like an organization from you know building the strategy all the way through you know organizing, managing, and adopting Azure. Um, so if, if Azure is just a concept in your organization, like what do you need to think of? What do you need to plan? What are some of the common motivations and how do you align on a strategy all the way towards like, okay, what are you doing to refactor your apps? Are your team set up the right way? Do you have organizational alignment to grow this? So it covers really everything kind of end to end, but it is really like a methodology similar to what we did with the handbook. Yeah, that's, that's funny. I, I, uh, it just hit me where you and I met, right? So you talked about uh, refactoring your apps and um, <laughs> exactly. I think the app DNA world uh, back in the early days as Citrix acquired that. And, and Mark Henderson and I just had lunch and, you know, we're talking about refocusing some of our business on uh, app understanding, app analysis, app refactoring, heck, in some case, app rewriting, uh, because you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to apps and whether they work in the environment properly or not. Um, you You've got um, you, you use the acronym CAF CAF for the um, for the cloud uh, adoption framework. You've got four or five basic or six uh, five basic principles here. Uh, the first one is uh, subscription democratization. Uh, a lot of syllables. Yep. Um, help me understand what uh, what you're covering in that section of the article. So uh, subscription, like that really gets down to like, so when you think of a subscription within Azure, you know, they all kind of roll up into like an enterprise agreement, et cetera. But a subscription is really kind of a unit of measurement management. Um, Like, for example, you know, you know, Andy, you, Bill and I might have our own subscription. Like this is going to be tied to, you know, a cost center. It's going to be tied to then resources that are built into it. Um, The best, you know, on-prem example or or thought process of that would be like your pod. Like this is your your resource pool or like this is your vCenter with all of your hosts that are kind of mapped to it. And like it's being used for Citrix. Subscriptions are like the pod within, you know, an Azure uh, framework where, hey, this is where my resources are going to be built. And like when you think of trying to separate that out for a business, especially when it comes to Citrix, is like thinking of like having a dedicated subscription for Citrix. So for example, I'm going to have this platform that's going to provide my apps and desktops to users, my bucket of resources, my pod, my unit of measurement within Azure, that's that subscription. And as I grow, if I ever need more, I can then take that framework that I've deployed into that Citrix unit of measurement, turn it into code, and then just spin up another one, especially if I need to add like another block of VMs, for example, as you grow. So like thinking of, you know, the blog, it kind of shows, you know, what a multi-subscription architecture looks like for Citrix, where you have all your workloads in a subscription, like maybe VDI or like server-based. And then both can grow independently. Those are all the machine catalogs can be, then be presented to end users. Yeah, we, we've had customers that have applied this methodology when where they've got a subscription for their core server infrastructure components and they want to add in VDI. So that rather than just dumping that into the same subscription or, or it's often 
And they've said, well, can't we just create another resource group? Well, yeah, you can, but you're you're minimizing the amount of control you have over it. You really need to to break it into another subscription where you've got, you know, the ability to assign roles and responsibilities without compromising those in the other one, in the other subscriptions. So we run into this more than once and recommended it even beyond that, um, you know, where we've had customers that were made sense. And it makes sense, quite frankly, in more environments than customers are willing to admit because yeah. it, it sounds more complex than it really is. Exactly. And it's kind of like, it's especially the way Microsoft's designed their portal, especially now with like the concept of management groups where you can right. kind of roll multiple subscriptions under the same hierarchy of organization. And like even thinking of that scenario, Bill, um, that kind of gets into, we get into the part two of the blog a little bit, but especially thinking of some of the largest Citrix customers out there, it's not just like single subscription for Citrix. A lot of it's turning into like multiple archetypes. Like, hey, you have your VDI line of business, and then you have your servers and your apps. You know, all those machines are hitting the Azure API. They're consuming resources. Right. And now, say for example, you want to then do Azure policy to limit. Hey, we know that servers work really well on this instance type, but VDI works really well on this one. If you're suddenly applying Azure policies and you're kind of doing preferred uh, instance types, you kind of get that crossover. And then especially how Microsoft does power management through the using the subscription. If you suddenly grow like a thousand BDI and next thing you know, you can't add more servers because the power states are getting messed up and they can't power cycle as fast as you like because you're throttling yourself. Suddenly you can't grow your server workloads anymore because BDI consumed all that, re- all that resource. Yeah. So, so I, I heard a lot of um, positives and a little negatives in there, but I, I will just stop and highlight here the idea of pod architecture, the idea of subscriptions, uh, both on the Citrix uh, control plane side, uh, PaaS, uh, you know, platform as a service, and then on the Azure side, you know, IaaS, infrastructure as a service. We are closer than ever to being able to simplicity, use simplicity uh, and technologies that are given to us as a service to allocate um, the Citrix environment based on um, you know, the consumption of the resources by the different departments to the point where we can even have different subscriptions for each if we had to. Um, that, that's, that's actually really exciting when you put on your, your blend between an you know, engineer hat and a business hat. Uh, it, it, that really does start to get you excited, if I can say that, uh, about uh, finally being able to answer that question to how much is this costing your group versus yeah. that group versus right. another group. Yeah, and like that kind of gets into too, especially thinking like the policy-driven governance, like getting to the second section and like taking that concept of I've separated my subscriptions based on you know, different use cases within Citrix, or at least um, have Citrix in its own subscription, like away from the rest of the business is the ability to more effectively monitor cost. Because like you can look at like different resource groups and Azure does a good job now, especially with Azure cost management to track and understand that at like a subscription resource group level. But thinking of like Citrix as a whole, like you can go into the Azure portal, click subscription and you can see, you know, month over month, what is the cost that, you know, this is, you know, bringing to my business? How can I look to optimize it? So we have one customer where we actually use some of that data and then took a look at some of the performance characteristics within director. And we've made it part of like our monthly cadence to review that. And like, let's say our, is our resources, are, are they over provisioned? You know, let's right size them, let's leverage auto scale. 
make auto scale a little bit more tightly controlled. Let's kind of change our VDI size because people aren't using CPU very much. Um, so let's kind of downsize the VMs to like improve the overall total cost of ownership. And like thinking back to the days of on-prem where, you know, your hardware is one vendor, your storage is another vendor, your network, you know, is another vendor trying to kind of capture that total infrastructure cost per user can be very challenging. And I think public cloud makes that a lot more predictable and well, a lot more easy to understand uh, predictability because of usage and you know, changes in fluctuation can be hard, but that's something that, um, I've seen a lot of customers try to adapt that continuous touch point with their teams to kind of think about costs and manage it more effectively. Are you all starting to see something similar on your side? Well, we are. I, I kind of just want to go back to the point uh, real quick of, you know, I've struggled for a year or two now wondering what happened to CloudStack, which was a Citrix acquisition like in 2012 or so, or actually 2010, uh, 2011. Um and what happened to that concept is that the public clouds came along at a much more accelerated pace. So the idea of needing to turn your data center into a cloud uh, management plane and um, something that was uh, measurable in terms of cost and, and allocating costs to different departments is it just kind of got left by the wayside because the public clouds are doing it so much better than we ever could. And they're doing yeah. it in a way you just you just turn it on, you pay for it and turn it on and turn it off when you don't need it. Right. No, definitely. I, I fully I hundred percent agree with that. And it's um I think a lot of things that people when try to go to public cloud, they also try to add things like chargeback into their operational processes because now it's more predictable end to end. Um, then, hey, you're thinking of, you know, that one customer, Bill, you mentioned, hey, we're thinking of doing DR, but help us understand, like, what is that going to then show me the value of that? Like, well, let's do a cost comparison based on, like, what we would know from a usage standpoint. Like, let's take a look at that. I feel like cost becomes, like, a lot more of a design factor that you got to account for. I think well, you're always accounting for it on-prem, too, but typically it was hardware that existed. We're, yeah. we're a bunch of IT guys, right? We're a bunch of engineers, yeah. maybe consultants. I, I don't use those two words uh, interchangeably. They're, they're two different things. But, you know, the idea that it all comes down to money is just the reality of the world. And no matter what cool feature you can turn on, if it doesn't financially make sense, which now it's more measurable and, and attainable than ever, um, you know, it's, it's all about money. And sometimes, you know, just a service that publishes one little app that's needed versus uh, you know, one little app published a hundred thousand times, 10,000 times might be the right answer. Uh, and this really enables you to do that and, and, and track the cost associated with doing that. It's, it, it really is an exciting time in terms of being able to build things out appropriately, not just because you, you want to buy a bunch of servers and um, light them up in your data center. Yep. And that's like we're especially like with Azure on the policy side, you know, Azure policy, it's something you know, I've really been encouraging, you know, every Citrix technologist to like understand a little bit better because it's a great way to put like barriers around your environment in like an automated way. So thinking about, hey, we know the optimal cost for, I mean, the optimal solution for our, our servers are, you know, premium storage, this instance type, et cetera. You can like audit against that. So if suddenly, you know, a, a new admin who maybe didn't read their onboarding guide as a new admin suddenly provisions catalogs with the wrong storage type or, hey, they've accidentally assigned a public IP address to a machine, something you can actually block uh, with Azure policy. It gives you the ability to audit that. So that thinking of, you know, hey, the business is like, hey, we need to do it at X. 
Azure policy gives you a way to kind of drive some of that governance, not just from a cost framework standpoint, but even like compliance and security. Like, hey, we got to make sure that no public IPs are directly attached to VMs. Everything has like the right tag. So we associate, you know, who owns it. This is production. It's with the right business unit. So like Azure policy, I'd say, is one of those essential tools for Citrix technologists to understand, at least in my opinion, when it comes to like going to Azure, because it's a great way to remove some of that human error element that can, you know, be in, you know, any chain ongoing and changing technology by automating certain compliance aspects. Yeah, you can automate it, you can uh, assess it, you can audit it. Um, you, you're willing to pay more for it overall if it means you have the insight that you now have yeah. in, the, in the transparency that goes with it. Well, right, I like the, the concept of guardrails, I, you know, particularly the example you cited, Kevin, around F-series in the article, or F-series versus D-series or, you know, other like public IP versus non-public IP. We we deal with customers occasionally that don't have those policies in place. So they end up with those, I call them rogue VMs that really don't match that. They've got a VM sitting out there that's an F-series or a DS-series or something that is not one of the reserved instance types. So they're paying pay as you go on one and that reserved instance it's is already sitting, reserved. Yeah, not being used. So I that's an important consideration and I think uh, really is something that I learned today uh, that we can we can convey to our customers more frequently. Yeah, and just thinking of like always that ongoing continuous improvement too. And like say you're getting started again, like thinking, Bill, about your customer. Hey, like let's look at public cloud. Um, you know, so let's start as pay to go. Like we determined that this instance type makes the most sense. Now we're finally going to reserve it. You don't want to suddenly have people on your team like using the old stuff. You're like leaving money on the table, money that can exactly. be used to invest in new use cases, continue to innovate the technology. And like I, like I, Andy, I think you kind of hit on it really well. We're technologists, but to be best stewards of our, our customers, if we can deliver the technology efficiently, it just gives them more opportunity to invest in new ways to impact the user experience for their benefit. Yeah, I'll use um, that to talk about this next section. There was a point in time in my career where, you know, I, I knew where all the control panels, all the um, all the management tools were for a various set of applications, and that empowered me to know more than others. Uh, but as things proliferate, at some point, you get to a point where I, I, even even the guy who wants to be in control of everything and, and kind of hide things from others wants to get to less and less control planes. And that's what you have here. You're talking about the single control and management plane that comes with Citrix Cloud and then integration with Azure. Um, you want to cover that piece? Yeah, definitely. So like, I think even like getting into, you know, control planes and especially when it comes to Citrix cloud and like just the, the Azure journey, right? Andy, I think you covered it really well with like getting more into like apps. Um, apps are really going to drive the pace of transition from one location to another. Um, if your app is still sitting on-prem, you know, the Azure experience isn't going to be where it needs to. And thinking of at least centralizing all of that, you know, those locations into like one control experience, you're the team spending less time worrying about database performance, server configurations, and more about understanding, okay, what's the user performance I'm seeing? Okay, let's control the pace of migration. Let's focus more on those applications because we're not worrying about the infrastructure of the control plane. So like thinking about, you know, on-prem, you have the concept of, you know, 
I'm rehosting, I'm lifting and shifting my app. You know, there's going to be a point in time where that application is in your on-prem data center. And it might also be in Azure. Like, wouldn't you want from like a, an admin perspective to like see, okay, the differences in, you know, user performance between that using things like analytics or even like director within Citrix Cloud? But like rather than having to have two separate environments, two separate databases, two separate management experiences. So a lot of it's just giving you that one control point for orchestration, especially as, as you know, the, the business is in transition. And But it also gives the ability to kind of make that transition for a user seamless because I'm enumerating everything from the same site into like Citrix workspace or storefront. So like once I've refactored an app and it's now being used as a pass, like using pass services, the user is none the wiser because they're still getting their little icon when they click and you're still controlling that from one centralized point. We, we talk a lot about trying to give our users one pane of glass to have to go to. And, and the truth is we need as, as much of that as possible in the, um, in our management life. Bill, any thoughts, Definitely. comments on this piece? I know. Makes sense. Kevin, um, Let's don't cover it now, but let's revisit at some point. Let's maybe get one of your Microsoft peers on. Let's talk about Azure Stack Hub, Azure Stack HCI. And, you know, your picture here shows Citrix kind of managing both the Azure and the on-prem piece. Uh, I have to think there's a story around Azure Stack as it relates to the on-prem and cloud Azure world and how those continue to just kind of meld, melt into each other. Yeah, maybe uh, this will be like a, a shameless plug, but maybe we can send this uh, recording to my buddy, Jeff Mitchell, and see if we can use it to, to get him to join one of the future sessions. So, Jeff, when you uh, listen to this, not committing your time, but I'm probably going to bug you about it. <laughs> Great. He's on the hook. I heard it. He said yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's going to probably prod me on Teams and be like, hey, man. <laughs> yeah. But, um. Yeah, you, that, I think that there's, I mean, there is a, especially when it, you think of like the infrastructure too and like the, where the apps might end up, end up landing and just being able to kind of even centralize that infrastructure, whether it be in your data center on hardware you've already purchased or in Azure with like one manage, management experience. I know is what Microsoft's really is trying to target there. Yeah. All right, this next session goes back to something that's near and dear to your heart. I know application centric and uh, Archaea type neutral. I don't know. Archaea Archetype new. So this kind of gets, yeah, like, so thinking of uh, like that multiple archetypes, right? So like you have like, at least at a macro level, I can be like a single session user where I'm using VDI, or I can be, you know, a, you know, server user, right? So like thinking about that concept, you know, at least on the Citrix side, it's a machine catalog. Am I stewarding my backend infrastructure, my subscriptions in a way that can best associate with two different types of archetypes within my you know, deployment stack? Or even thinking about, for example, thinking of BDI, doing like a tiered service model where within that, you know, different types of catalogs, how I'm provisioning, am I giving, am I right sizing what a user needs based on their workflow? So like rather than, you know, general purpose, more of like fit for purpose, to then drive down your know, overall costs and like really try to create efficiencies. So it's all about really thinking about uh, building your Citrix in environment in a way that can scale and at least like provide a similar operating operating framework for new use cases. So for example, hey, I have this BDI type of uh, users. You know, how does this use case differ? You know, what's the methodology you're going to use to onboard them? You know, what service tier do they fall into? So trying to think of it more rather than at the use case level, think of it a little bit at like the service model level. Like, hey, I have a task worker that's help desk 
they kind of fit into what we would dub as like basic BDI. Here's how we can get you started. And then we can get feedback and always iterate later. So it's all about more thinking about like, at least when you do your initial design, especially if you don't have the information on the apps, try to at least think of like the different service models that someone could fall into and then design accordingly. Cause then as that use case grows, you have like a framework in place where you can then start to scale it and grow it. So Kevin, I, I had to stop for a second and go, go find the definition of archetype. Um, and so maybe I'll jump and explain it to everybody real quick, just to make sure we're on the same page as to what we're talking about here. This is the concept of being able to reuse applications and other things, but specifically applications here, so that you build an app that works for the, for the basic VDI user, the task worker, also works for the knowledge worker in that standard VDI, and then in the premium VDI, it works there as well. So you, you're basically getting to the point where you could just take that application, stamp it out, and stick it in any of these different use cases, and it's going to work. So you're only, you're only you know, building out that application one time, um, and then if, if the higher-end tiers need specific apps, they'll have it, but that that one application can be used over and over and over again across the spectrum, right? Exactly. And like thinking at least on the Citrix framework side, like that baseline, you know, general purpose, that initial purpose image that you would build, for example, with like your office, your Chrome, your like key, you know, one or two business applications. Hey, you know what? I have 3D graphics users. I'm going to take that image. I'm just going to create a new catalog, give it a GPU, and then use things like either elastic layering, and I'm going to pull in their, you know, specific app or use things like MSIX and like push down like more of a new, you know, future state containerized application like to that VM so that I've taken that initial archetype. And even though it's changed slightly, I have a lot of foundational work that I've done that can be built off of. So you're not always starting from scratch, right? Every time some new use case comes up. Yeah. Hey, let's get Jeff on to you to talk about MSIX. I think I've heard that acronym used <laughs> in my last two business days. It was a weekend in between, a very nice one. Uh, I've heard that used more in the last two work days than I have in the past six months. Uh, must be building some steam. Yeah, I, I've actually, um, I, I know it's for me too, I'm kind of hearing a little bit more about it. I think for companies, especially when it comes to like packaging and transitioning, application types, you know, taking your package and getting it MSIX compatible, there's obviously packaging work that needs to be done there. And that's kind of where having the right tooling can come into place. I came across one of your, our, our mutual friends, uh, Remo3, um, was mentioned uh, for a customer of mine and, you know, some of what they're doing on automated transition to MSIX and everything. I think it's, it is something that's going to gain some steam because people want to separate their image from their apps and being able to do it in a way where they can be managed independently. It's also probably why, you know, Citrix, we invested in layering and being able to just disassociate that. And from what I understand about MSIX, it's doing that at like the package level where that package has everything it needs to run. And you're not kind of like putting things in the OS that can like potentially taint other apps. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to, 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 I'll put you on the spot. You can either answer yes or you can answer no, but that's all you can answer. Is MSIX finally the application um, uh, uh, archetype neutral solution that we've all been waiting for for the past 10 years? And again, you get to say yes or you get to say no. What about like we'll see? Because I don't know if I've seen it too much in practice yet. I've seen it in theory, but um, I lo- I'm looking forward to seeing where it can go um, from like the initial understanding that I have. So I would kind of <laughs> I will defer the question and say we'll see. Um, I know a lot of people are talking about. It. I haven't seen too much in practice yet. Yeah, no, that's that's fine. You you got. I'll let you use the political answer of uh, not answering. <laughs> 
All right, Bill, any thoughts on this, uh, this section here talking about uh, decoupling the apps from the workload and reusing them? No, I, I think that's what we've been trying to do for years. And each time there's some new shiny thing and we'll see whether or not that new shiny thing so, bears out. So let's put that in perspective, Bill. What percentage of Zintegra customers' success, and I'm not talking about app presentation, aka you know, MetaFrame presentation server. That, in my opinion, has been the most successful way of doing this all these years, even though we don't put it in this bucket necessarily. I do. Um, but forgetting about that, talking about app layering, app V, um, you know, all the different app ways of doing this, app streaming. What percentage of customers have been able to successfully um, archetype neutral their applications? Give me a number. It's a very small percentage, less than 5% in my experience. Yeah. Probably, probably even smaller than that, but. Yeah, I was saying, I don't know any that have 100% done it. I know some that have gotten a uh, catalog together, but that still usually ends up at around the 50% mark or so. Yeah. Kevin, yeah, I would you say I'm kind of in the same same boat like you tend to have people where it's the vision but then there's just some applications that either the knowledge capital is gone and it needs to stay legacy or just the app itself is is kind of old so doing that transition to more of a modern delivery with like at least at the packaging level you can just throw like a vda on a server and then publish it say from like a older os if if necessary kind of use that flexibility of citrix to help some of that transition but even thinking of things like app v um some of my customers will like gotten to that vision. It's always like, Hey, I'm streaming app V to a server. And then I'm publishing that virtualized app via Citrix, even though I'm using that like management technology on the back end to make my app management and image management easier. So I've disassociated, disassociated my apps from my OS, but then I'm presenting my app securely to my users using Citrix and some of the benefits there. So Kevin, I, I love that you used the right words there because most people don't. Uh, when you're doing a layer or when you're sending a package over, that's streaming. When you're actually running it on the server and then presenting it, that's presenting. Um, yeah. Most people in the Citrix world, they use the word streaming for everything, which is totally inaccurate. And if you base it off the OSI model, it is very inaccurate. But a lot of people yeah. use those terms. Um, no, this is, uh, this is, this is exciting. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you guys one quick funny story I always think about in this conversation. You know, Citrix put in the AppV plug-in, the AppV connector into the pro- product a bunch of years ago, probably when the, uh, the FlexCast architecture came out. And uh, a lot of customers will say to me during scoping exercises, they'll say, hey, it's got this AppV thing. Should we, should we use that? And I'm like, well, do you use AppV today? No, we never used it. Uh, then the answer is absolutely 100% no. We're not adding that just because it's in there. Just, you know. Turn your engineer brain off for a minute. Just because there's a switch there doesn't mean we need to flip it. And I like that methodology too, Andy, because I think um, it's it's all about keeping things simple out the gate, right? Especially with cloud, and especially if you design in a way that can can grow as you're successful, like you can keep it simple. So, like for example, a customer today who might want to transition their laps people from laptops into more like virtual VDI going from say, for example, persistent machines that have like operational processes built around them, um, support structures, you know, shifting that to suddenly like non-persistent pooled fluctuating pools like that. That's a, there's multiple steps to get there. You got to retrain your support team. You got to work with the vendors that you might be using for like ma- management and antivirus agents to get the non-persistent. So like shifting and suddenly doing like, Hey, I'm going to start with, 
a persistent machine, but maybe treat it, for example, like a cattle. When you think of like DevOps, I'm provisioning it persistently. It's, ma- it's managed, but then I blow it away with the new with the new image versus like having it natively reboot on every update because you're kind of stepping into innovation, right? So I know like a lot of customers that like shifted to BDI really quickly um, from due to COVID, you know, they ended up keeping a few of their management structures in place around managing BDI and by starting with persistent to kind of get used to the remote access methodology. And now they're starting to kind of optimize the use cases on the back end to better align with, you know, re-updating their operating model to kind of drive that efficiency. So like, yes, like a hundred percent, yes, non-persistent pooled shared machines are the most efficient way to deliver. But like, just because your organization might not be doing that today, there are ways you can kind of phase in the success and kind of do it incrementally. So like thinking of that AppV client, like you mentioned, it just because it's there, it doesn't mean you have to use it. And you don't have to use every single aspect of the product to have some initial success out the gate. Um, Like I know a lot of customers who were able to really accommodate, you know, this transition that people had to do from remote work by starting with persistent machines just to get things out the door because their entire organizational structure was around managing persistent machines. And then now they're starting to take a look at that and say, okay, like, what can we do better? Now let's start to optimize. It's just those that don't take the step back to say, okay, hey, what can we do better? You end up kind of bloating a little bit and you get kind of like crushed by the weight of your own thousands of machines are going to be updated individually. You leave a lot of innovation on the table, but just if you, even if just innovating incrementally, um, you can still get a lot of success over time. There's a reason why they call that uh, quick change, the big bang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's uh, it's big and it takes a lot of careful planning to make sure it goes right. And, and most of the time it blows up on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, exactly. uh, last last section here before the conclusion, uh, align Azure native designs and roadmaps. What are we covering here? So this gets into, I mean, I think the key point I was really trying to make there was especially thinking of, you know, getting the Citrix cloud. Like you were once on, especially if you're listening and you're a Citrix customer today, you were on a platform that was static, you know, updates every quarter and like maybe based on your update schedule as an organization, you know, once every one or two years. Um, so innovation is in one singular point in time and, you know, it's easy to just park there. But like when you start thinking about getting the cloud, especially when it comes to like Citrix cloud, updates are now coming in at a much quicker pace. So like being able to like take advantage of those updates like more rapidly. So like thinking of, hey, we have this limitation today. You know, if there's this new feature that's available, let's dev it up. Let's like pilot it. Let's see if it makes like a, the impact we're looking for. Um, so like even thinking of like the Citrix cloud side with how we've approached just Azure provisioning enhancement just in the last couple months, um, being able to go about 50%, you know, greater reduction in boot times, uh, provisioning performance process improvements, a lot of updates, you know, on the VDA side for like teams integration. So like having like the right operational framework where you're consistently trying to leverage the best in cloud as new features come in through like, you know, a dev environment or a proper test environment or even user champions, for example, like, hey, we have this new getting back to like archetype neutral. Hey, we have this new service tier we can offer to the business because Microsoft now has you know, NV series GM, uh, uh, VM. So like thinking of even like Microsoft's history of just GPU usage 
um, they were always very server oriented where you'd have like, you know, a ton of memory, you know, a ton of CPU and like the price per unit would be so high that doing like an individual desktop would be challenging. But if you kind of sat on the path of innovation, like, hey, this new instance is out like the NV4 series where it's more size for single usage VDI with a GPU and it's more affordable. Okay, like let's talk to our 3D's graphics team and let's, you know, start piloting this within the organization so we know that there's value and it's, the use case is acceptable. Let's let's innovate. Uh, same or like WEM, for example. Hey, we have this new update with WEM. Like, let's push down features. So really, the the key theme there is you're on a dynamic platform. So like setting up your teams where they have the proper time to engineer and the proper time to like look towards the future, so you can get the advantage of cloud and bring that to your business is something like every team. I encourage every team to do because you're on a platform that's changing. It's dynamic, and you don't want to leave like value on the table when it comes to making an impact for user experience. Bill, any thoughts? No, I love the uh, the, the discussion around the NV series VMs. That's uh, it's becoming more and more common. Um, you know, with customers needing to do GPU accelerated graphics and uh, NV4 is a much more affordable solution there. So understanding that as part of your overall strategy is important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, one of our future podcasts I reached out about today was um, you know, the NVIDIA story and, and a current update on it. I've been a huge fan of that. I mean, how many, how many physical PCs do you have these days that don't have a graphics card? And I'm almost zero but yet we've been trying to shove virtual desktops out there for years without it. Um, but it adds cost and the total cost of ownership of VDI desktop virtualization is, is still beyond what we want. Um, you know, maybe doing that from the cloud where you can turn it on, turn it off as needed or, or just have it for very small subsets of users or, or find a cost effective way to share it across hundreds or thousands of users. You know, maybe, maybe that's finally the answer is getting those, um, getting those graphics cards in, in, in such a way that it becomes an operational cost and something we can just kind of blend into the you know, month to month cost. Right. Okay. Um, Kevin, you got to wrap it up here with the what's next section. I know we're going to have you back on to talk about part two. Um, you want to kind of tie us together? Yeah. So I, I, yeah, we can kind of talk through. So I, again, the, the biggest summary here is, you know, you want to, you don't want to be a victim of your own success, right? You want to plan for growth. You want to go in the assumptions that like, Hey, if we're successful and we need to increase 20%, have we put the right processes and design methodologies in place so we can say yes to the business? And like a lot of what we'll cover Andy on like the next podcast is like, okay, what are the core design decisions you need to make on the Azure infrastructure side? to like set up your Citrix environment uh, to do that. So like thinking about double clicking down into like what are the governance models that make sense? Uh, what is the network design or some native Azure tools you can use but to your benefit? Uh, we'll cover, you know, in the next few parts of the series, we cover a lot of those topics. Okay, great. Well, I guess we'll look forward to doing that. I guess we're doing that one next week, right? Yeah, we're doing. We'll do that one uh, next week, and then I'm, I'm actively working on part three and uh, trying to, to juggle that between uh, holidays and taking some time off and everything. Yeah, for sure. Well, at least you probably don't have a whole lot of lab work. It's really just more your your knowledge that you're just pulling from. That's that's always good. Exactly. Yeah, I'm. I've been very lucky over the years. I've done a lot of Azure work that most of it's just putting thoughts on paper. Well, you got a cool job. You get to go play with stuff for fun and help people for fun and get paid for it. Really exactly. Fun. Exactly. World. Some days I wish I got to do that. Um, in fact, I've got, you know, servers running here in the background that I'm playing with, but 
at the end of the day, I'm, I got other things going on. And then Bill, he's got lots of projects that always have uh, uh, interesting things happening. Bill, that's, uh, that's your cue. What, what do you have going on between now and next time we meet? Oh, you know, just um, more of the same, uh, managing projects, uh, managing our new platform for managing projects, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting, getting things going and, uh, of course, keeping my team well-educated and well-up-to-date on all the newest stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah, you, you and I and Kevin, we all have never-ending jobs, but uh, you definitely have a, a job that requires you to constantly be challenging yourself on how we get better because there's, there's, it's yeah. limitless. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you jumping on and we'll look forward to doing this again next week. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you for listening to the Citrix Session with your hosts, Andy Whiteside and Bill Sutton. A special thanks to our guest for attending today's podcast. Podcast produced by Pete Downing. For any input or if you'd like to be a part of our podcast, please email us at info at Zentegra.com. Please head over to Zentegra.com forward slash podcast to listen to all podcasts in this series. This podcast is copyrighted by Zentegra LLC. Thank you.